So Lord, I pray, God, that this morning your Holy Spirit might empower me. And God, you might speak through me. That your Holy Spirit would stir the hearts of your people, God. That all of us, Father, would be stirred on to pray. So Lord, we come before you eager to hear and learn. And we submit ourselves before you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Oftentimes, life feels like you're a dog walker, I'm sure. You've got six or seven things in your hands pulling at different directions. Different responsibilities, different burdens, different cares, expectations. And often what the result of all these things pulling at you is just exhaustion. You're fatigued, you're burnt out. Perhaps you lose focus some in life and what you're supposed to be doing. And you're just at a loss. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus really does sympathize with that kind of, those kinds of pullings. Many people pulled at him in his lifetime. They had expectations for him. They had ideas of what he ought to be and what he was supposed to do for them. And Jesus, in a masterful way, never submitted to the demands that people placed on him. But he was able to regularly keep himself nourished. His soul was nourished and strengthened. He always kept focus on why he came. And as we read the New Testament, we see that Jesus was able to do this because he had a sustained prayer life with the Father. He spent time in prayer. My desire is that we would just see that great need for prayer in our own lives. That we would see how important it is to keep our soul nourished. To keep our minds and our eyes focused and fixed upon what God wants for us in our lives. So often we're at a loss. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray. And oftentimes we really don't have the motivation to pray whatsoever. Which is why we just felt the need to, to have this series. And we... Asked, and we put the, the, the title for the series, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. We know we need to pray, and we're battling God, so we ask you, please, would teach us to pray. Not just how to pray, but teach us that we ought to pray. And as Mike said earlier, that God will create in us a yearning, a craving for prayer. So if you're like me, we come this morning asking, Lord, teach us to pray. And I don't know what you come with, what things burden you, But maybe you ask, Lord, teach me to pray because my faith has been weakened by opposition and trials in my life. Teach me to pray because my heart is growing distant from you, O God, as my life gets busier. Lord, teach me to pray because I don't feel your nearness and your embrace like I once did. Teach me to pray because my heart yearns for finding a spouse more than it yearns for finding pleasure in you, O God. Lord, teach me to pray because I'm at a loss with my wayward son or my wayward daughter. Teach me to pray because I find myself continually bowing down to the idols of sex, the idols of selfish ambition, the idols of lust. Teach me to pray 
Because I find my heart seeking the praises of man over against your praise, O oh God. Teach me to pray because my marriage is approaching its final stand. Teach me to pray because I continue to fail in the face of temptation. Teach me to pray because my life is not as it ought to be, a billboard declaring your glory. We need to pray, brothers and sisters. And you might be able to continue this list 10, 15, 20 times over. And as we saw last week, let our prayer be, God, hallowed be your name. Let your name be holy in me. Let your kingdom, may you reign in my life. Let your will be done, not my will. Provide for us, God. Don't let us be led into temptation because the enemy is out there and he wants to destroy us. So we pray, Lord, teach us to pray. And let us learn from Jesus. Because in those times where his strength was taken, just physically exhausted, he was renewed and fortified through prayer. His focus was strengthened through prayer. And I think that's what we need in our lives. We're going to look at Mark chapter 1 this morning. Would you turn your Bibles there, please, to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to learn from Jesus how he communed with the Father, why he communed with the Father, what that looked like. And our text, I want to look at verse 21 first. And it begins on a Sabbath day. Look at verse 21 of Mark chapter 1. It says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Capernaum was a, north, uh, a northwestern city just north of the Sea of Galilee in the northern part of Israel. It was a Sabbath day, which meant it was a Saturday. He entered a synagogue. Synagogues were places of worship. The, the temple was in Jerusalem, but those who didn't live close to Jerusalem had synagogues in their places for they can go to worship. And it says, immediately Jesus entered the synagogue. The word immediately shows up nine times in Mark chapter 1 alone. Four times in our passage. Because Mark wants the story to keep going. He wants to paint a picture for us. And the picture he wants to paint is who Jesus was. So he's in the synagogue, and it says he was teaching in verse 21. Verse 22 says, And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. So they saw Jesus' authority. This guy could teach. They noticed that. He can open up the sacred writings and tell them what it meant. And their hearts were stirred, and they recognized that. And then he compared them to their religious leaders, their scribes, and said, they don't have the power and the authority that he has. So they saw Jesus' authority, and they took note of it. But if we continue on, we see more in verse 23. And immediately, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. He was demon-oppressed or possessed. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out. In verse 26, And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of the man. So here we have Jesus' authority over the demons. And again, the people take note of it. Verse 27, And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? 
a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. We see two great displays of Jesus' authority. First, his authority in teaching, they took note of it. His authority over demons, they took note of it. And in verse 28, we see, and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Instantly, he reaches rock star status. People are like, this Jesus is something else. This all happens in one Sabbath morning. In fact, this one day period extends from verse 21 through verse 39, a 24-hour period or so, from one morning to the next. And just like that, Jesus is a rock star. People all around hear about him. They just, this guy's doing great things. He has authority over his teaching, authority over demons. And that's the praises he received. So from the Sabbath day, uh, from the synagogue, verse 29, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Again, a display of authority. This time it's not his teaching, it's not demons, but it's over illness. This Jesus is something else. And Mark is painting a picture of his great works and the things he did. And the people took note of it. Verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought him to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. It happened at sundown because the Sabbath officially was over at sundown on Saturday. So it was probably about 6 or 7 o'clock p.m. Then they were free to move about their day and do their business according to the law. So the first thing they did, we're going to Peter's house. We saw Jesus go there. We're going to bring our sick people and our demon-oppressed people because we saw his authority and we want him to help us. Verse 33. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. This is quite a crowd. And what does Jesus do? He healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Just think about this. This is all in one day. It's a crazy day. It's an exhausting day. It started in the morning with him teaching in the synagogue. He's teaching there, and people are amazed at it. I know when I preach on a Sunday morning, there's rarely a Sunday afternoon that I don't take a nap. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted from the study. I'm exhausted from the preparation. I'm exhausted from preaching. It's a tiring thing. The nerves, all of it. And that's how Jesus spends his morning. But while he's still in the synagogue, the next thing is, a demon-possessed man comes to him. The man was probably deranged. The, the man was, was probably hostile, aggressive. This is spiritual warfare. And Jesus rebukes the demon. I mean, that is demanding of somebody. And he had to be tired. He had to be. So after he leaves the synagogue, he goes to Peter's house. Let me remind you, he doesn't have a car. He didn't take a nap in the back seat. He walked there. We don't know how long it was, but he had to walk there. So then you think, okay, he arrives at Peter's house. Now it's time for Jesus to put his feet up and take a nap. Get the coffee brewing, do a 20-minute power nap. But what does it tell us? Immediately, they brought Simon's mother-in-law to him. Jesus, she's sick. Can you help her out? And what does Jesus do? He helps her out. Now, okay, now he can catch a breather, right? Well, then sunset comes. The whole crowd is gathering at the front door. Hey, Jesus, can you help us? 
Just imagine the fatigue. He had every right to put on the, a sign on the door, the door that says, Do not bother. Or come back tomorrow. We wouldn't, we wouldn't knock him for it. Look, the guy's had a long day. He could have said, you know, close the blinds, turn off the lights, do like we do on Halloween, you know, pretend like we're not home so we don't get the doorbell rung. But he didn't do that. Yeah, he could have been tired from the whole day of serving and then it's nighttime. I mean, many of you are on the phone all day at work. The last thing you want to hear when you get home is the phone ring. It doesn't matter how sweet of a ringtone you put on your phone. It doesn't matter how smart your phone is. You resent your phone when it rings at night. Because you're just like, look, I'm on this thing all day. And Jesus could have had that attitude. I've been helping people all day. And now, when it's my time to rest? But he doesn't do that. See, Jesus knew what he came for. And he tells us in the book, uh, in the Gospels, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So the Spirit of God gave him power to do this and strengthen him in the inner man. And what does he do the next morning? He couldn't have gone to bed early, right? He went to his house at sunset. The whole city was there. How long did it take for that crowd to leave? Hours, probably. He could not have gone to bed at a reasonable time. When we've had long days, what's the first thing we do at night? We, we get in bed and we're like, okay, I'm gone. I'm not setting my alarm for the next morning. I'm waking up when my body tells me to. And those long days when we sleep, we tend to snore a little bit louder, don't we? We tend to drool a little bit more. And some of you, I know, talk in your sleep. And Jesus could have done this. But what does it tell us in verse 35? And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Why? Why did he get up very early in the morning while it was still dark? That's a little redundant. Could have said early in the morning, or could have said while it was still dark, but very early in the morning while it was still dark. Why was this such a priority for him? Why did Jesus need prayer more than he needed sleep? Well, I think it's what took place that day before and what would take place the day ahead. You notice twice in the passage as I read it for you, Jesus rebuked demons and they wanted to say who he was and he silenced them, didn't he? You see that in verse 25, Be silent and come out of him. And then down in verse 34, And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. They wanted to divulge his identity to the crowds. But already the crowds thought he was a rock star. And I, I think what's at play here is, Jesus was starting to get a following based on something he didn't want a following for. They wanted him just because he was a miracle worker. They wanted him for his power. They were drawn to him because of what he did. And Jesus doesn't necessarily despise that because he let the crowds come to him. But that's not the kind of crowd he ultimately came to establish. Those are not the kinds of followers Jesus wants. Followers who want him just to meet their physical needs. Followers who are just there to see how he can help them. That's not what Jesus came for. And I think this was a test for Jesus. 
He could have got up the next morning, put a sign on his door, set up shop and said, look, we're going to have just services here at Peter's house for months to come. Healing people. Casting out demons. But that's not why he came. So he gets up early the next morning, I believe, one, to find strength, and two, to keep his focus on his mission. Now we find it odd after... To find strength, we usually need rest. But to find strength, Jesus needed prayer. His soul needed nourishment. He needed prayer like a hungry man needs food. And now I think we need to ask ourselves here, what can we learn from our Lord? How badly do we yearn for prayer? How do we look at Jesus' example here? Say, God, my soul is tired, God. Have you prayed? Have you gotten on your knees before your Father in heaven? Cried out to Him? Perhaps you're losing focus in life. Have you gotten on your knees and said, God, I need to realign myself with your will? Jesus got a way to pray when the most reasonable thing would have been to sleep. And this is what Mark tells us. It was very early in the morning. So we get a time of the day. He departed and went out to a desolate place. We have a location. Why did Jesus need to get away in private? Why can't he just get a corner in Peter's house? Maybe get in the room. Maybe hide himself in the bathroom. Maybe behind the house out somewhere. He needed a desolate place. And we're not told why. But I, I start to think, maybe he needed to, to pray aloud. Maybe in Jesus' prayer time, he was led to sing. Maybe he needed to lay on his face and feel the freedom that people weren't there around him. Maybe he began to weep, cry. Whatever it was, Jesus went to a desolate place and there he prayed. It was a want to get away kind of moment for him. I spoke with one of our elders this week who told me about his prayer life just a little bit. He said he wakes up in the morning and thinks about the day ahead and prays through it before he even leaves his home. Prays about the meetings he's going to have, the people he's going to talk with. And that's how he prepares himself for the day ahead, communing with his Heavenly Father in prayer. And then as he goes about his day, before he meets with someone, he prays again as he enters into a particular office or into a conversation. Because he sensed the need to begin his day in fellowship with God to nourish his soul, to align his will with the Father's will. And we need to think on these terms. How necessary it is for us to begin our day in prayer. To begin our days in prayer with God. This may or may not be a instruction on how we are to have a quiet time. You've got to get up before it's dark. Alright, so all of you get up before it's dark. It's not like that. But I think here we see at work, get up and be with God first. Be with the Lord. And that's what Jesus did. So we see when Jesus prayed, early in the morning, where he prayed, a desolate place. What he prayed, we're not sure. But the bigger question I have is, why did he pray? I titled the sermon, Jesus Prayed. And you might think, well, that's really boring. But think about this. Jesus prayed. 
He is God. Why did he pray? He is God in human flesh, yet he found it the need to pray. And we're, again, we're not told exactly what he prayed, but I believe in part it was to be strengthened, in part it was to realign his vision with what the Father's will. But that's what we're told why Jesus prays. In Mark 9, there's a demon-possessed person. And the disciples are trying to rebuke this demon. And what does Jesus tell them? This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Get that sense that in Jesus' time of prayer, he found power from God and was strengthened for a task like rebuking a demon. In Luke 6, he spends a whole night in prayer before choosing his disciples, seeking wisdom. Just think of how monumental that decision was. If he chose 12 Judases, what would have happened? The gospel wouldn't have continued beyond his life. But Jesus sought prayers, was in prayer and sought wisdom. In Luke 22, Jesus tells Peter this. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. He intercedes in his times of prayer for his disciples. And in John 17, he prays for us. He teaches us how to pray in the Lord's prayers we looked at last week. He is strengthened in prayer. Why did Jesus pray? In this situation, we don't know. But we know he was strengthened. We know his, his uh, vision was focused. We know other times he's empowered in prayer. We know that he finds wisdom in prayer. That he intercedes for us in prayer. That he's strengthened in prayer. So we see why Jesus prayed. And he's felt the need to pray. And I think we need to ask ourselves then, why don't we pray? It's the God of the universe who came in the form of man woke up early to pray. Why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? We have many burdens we come with this morning. All of us. Different things on our minds. Let's pray. Let's commit these things to the Father. You know, I think one of the things, if you ask any one of us, if we ask, why don't we pray as much as we feel like we ought to? You know, we can really beat ourselves up. We need to be careful of that. But if we do answer that question, often we say we're too busy. You know, that's, that's a common response. But I think busyness is not an issue. What's at work behind busyness is self-sufficiency. So I think the, one of the greatest hindrances to prayer is self-sufficiency masked in busyness. And this is what I mean. If we go about our day and we're so busy, we don't have time to pray, evidently we didn't need God's help in what we were doing, right? We're just staying busy doing things. And if we don't need God's help, then we we don't need to pray. We're self-sufficient. We don't need Him. But when you ask ourselves, can that which be done without prayer be done well? Or is that which we're doing without prayer really worth doing? If we don't need God to intervene in our lives, what are we doing with our time? And we need to lay aside that that excuse of self-sufficiency and say, God, I confess that. That's sin in my life. I want to pray. 
I don't want to be self-sufficient and busy myself up. You know, I think another big hindrance is unbelief, to be honest. I think many of us, whether or not we'll admit it, don't pray because we don't believe it works. We don't believe there's any point in prayer. You might say, no, that's, that's too harsh, Eric. But think about it. Why don't, we, why don't we pray for certain things? Is it that we don't believe God? God, I don't think you can do that. God, my sin is too big. My problem is too big for you. And the self-sufficiency and this unbelief keeps us away from communing with God. That sweet time of prayer that Jesus himself went into. In Good News Bible Church, we'd be the people of prayer. We lay aside those things and say, God, here we are before you. Here I am before you. I want to pray. Well, the story doesn't stop there. We look at verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him. Now just think, Peter's awake now, other people are awake, and they go out looking for Jesus. What time did they wake up? They doesn't tell us. But we know the time Jesus woke up, it was very early in the morning while it was still dark. Now everyone else is awake. How long did he pray for? I don't know. Probably hours, though. And here they find Jesus. He, and this is what Peter says in verse 37. Everyone is looking for you. Remember the rock star status thing? Everyone's here, Jesus. They want you. They want to hear from you. And here's how we know that Jesus' time of prayer strengthened him and focused him on his mission by his response in verse 38. Let us go on to the next towns. There's strength. He had strength to go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. And then here's the focus. For that is why I came out. See, Jesus' response to Peter was, look, the crowds are here. That's great. In fact, Luke 4.42 tells us that these crowds wanted him to stay in Capernaum. They said, Jesus, you're not leaving us. You're sticking around here. But Jesus' response says, look, I can't, I'm not supposed to stay here. That's not why I came. I came to preach. And we're going to go out to other towns. And I'm going to do that. For that's why I came out. Now, think about that phrase. That's why I came out. Think, came out as in what? Like, came out as in to pray this morning? Came out as in why you were able to find me? I think it came out as in, that's why I took on this flesh and came, was that I might go out and preach. Well, what did Jesus preach? You ever think about that? Well, look at chapter 1, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying... The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That was his message. Repent and believe in the gospel. Of course Jesus had to go out and preach that. That's the gospel. That's the good news that we cling to. That we have turned from our sin in repentance and believe, put our faith in Jesus Christ. And had he stuck around in Capernaum, healing people, casting out demons, and not preaching, that message would not have gone forward. But Jesus aligned himself with his mission and said, No, 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 I'm not supposed to stay here. I'm supposed to go out and preach. Preach repentance and preach faith. And that's what he did. 
Peter didn't suggest that. The crowds didn't suggest that. Jesus knew that that was what he was sent to do. And I think about that gospel work, that, that message that Jesus preached. I want us all to, to really recognize that we understand what that means. See, Jesus didn't want followers who were just around him to, to meet him, to, to, to meet, for the, uh, him to meet their needs. That's, that's not why he came. He didn't want a following that was there superficially. And I think we need to ask ourselves, what kind of disciple am I right now? Am I of the Capernaum type who wants Jesus to stick around so he can meet my needs? It's not all bad, but if that's it, it's wrong. And even Jesus himself verifies that by saying, I'm not staying here for that. Or are you the type of disciple that has received his message and you've repented from your sin? You've turned away from those ways of sin and believed in him and followed him in that way. You know, Jesus really, at times, pushed away crowds. Did you know that? I mean, here's one occasion. He leaves. Big crowd of people. All right, I'm leaving. We try to attract crowds, don't we, often? But in John 6, we have, 6, we have another example. You see, in chapter 5, he feeds 5,000 people. The disciples go across the river afterward, uh, across the sea. Jesus walks on water and goes to the other side of the sea. The crowds go around and they meet him there. They just want, they want him. You just fed 5,000 men, which is probably like 20,000, 30,000 people. They're, they're, they're drawn to him. And what does Jesus do in John 6? He tells these supposed followers, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you cannot be one of my disciples. Do you know he said that? And their response is, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not what we're here for. And in John chapter 6, verse 66, and I remember that easily, 6, verse 66, many disciples leave him, it says. Many disciples leave him. And then he turns to the twelve and he asks them, are you going to leave me too? This is a moment of crisis for the disciples. What kind of followers were they? And then Peter speaks up on behalf of the twelve. He says, we have nowhere else to go. For you alone have the words of eternal life. That's the follower Jesus came to create. Not the Capernaum crowds. Not those who wanted Jesus for what he can do for them. But the kind that said, you are our Lord. You have the words of life. We're submitting to you. We've got nowhere else to go, Jesus. And that was his message. And that's why in Mark 1.35 and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed I think he was making war in many ways focusing on what the mission was and being strengthened by the Father and that's what he went out to do and ultimately to give his life as a ransom for many now I do want to ask if you're the crowd kind of disciple, if you're a follower but not really, let today be the day where you embrace the true reason Jesus came. That you wouldn't hold on to a rock star, but you'd be a disciple who denies yourself, takes up your cross and follows him. 
that you would repent and believe and live that life and say as Peter said, I've got nowhere else to go. Would you do that today? And not be like the crowds pretending. That's what Jesus' call is. And that's what we see here in this text. So there are many layers of application here. On the one hand, we see Jesus' as an example in prayer, don't we? We see that He needed strength. We see that He wanted to do the Father's will. He didn't want to be distracted by the tests or the temptations. And where are you at today? Are you able to say, Lord, teach me to pray in sincerity? Maybe your faith has been weakened by trials and you need the Lord. Maybe your heart is growing distant from God. Maybe you don't feel His nearness. Maybe your heart yearns for a spouse more than it yearns for God. Maybe you're at a loss what to do with your children. Maybe you find yourself bowing your knees in idolatry in your heart. Maybe you seek the praises of man. Maybe your life is not doing what Jesus said, hallowing, glorifying God's name. We need to pray, Good News Bible Church. We need to be people of prayer. We need to begin our day and say, God, I want to commune with you. I need you today. Like a hungry man needs food. Like a tired man needs sleep. I need you today. I don't want to be of the crowd. I want to be a disciple who follows hard after my Lord. So you can pray and say it today, Lord, teach me to pray. Would that be your prayer? And would Jesus be your example as we move forward to 2011? That's my prayer for you and for me and my family. Let's bow in prayer.